That's why they're so excited. Well, it's great to be with you again on this third week of Advent as we get ever closer to Christmas Day. Um, I don't know about you, but driving around this week, it was pretty hard to get in that kind of Christmas spirit with it being like 60 degrees and it's raining. And one guy at the gym says, you know, oh, at least it's not snowing. I'm like, man, silence. A foot of snow would be way better than just rain, cold rain all day. And I know that most of you don't agree with me on that, but I love the snow and I wish it was snow covered everything right now. It would make my... uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra concert that I have in my car as I drive so much more enjoyable. So, uh, well, a question as we start this morning, what brings you joy? What is something that just genuinely and authentically brings you joy? I don't know if you'll be able to name something like right off the top of your head, like what brings you joy? My guess is uh, the quicker you're able to come up with an answer, is probably equivalent to the amount of joy you express on a daily basis. Uh, If you're somebody whose face generally doesn't know that you're joyful, um, it might take you a little while to figure out what makes you joyful, what brings you actually true joy. Not just like what makes you feel good or what makes you happy or what you like to see or experience, but what brings out true joy in you. See, the gospel, which... uh, do you know what the gospel and the interpretation of the gospel, like what does it mean, the word gospel? That's right. Some of you are paying attention. I love it. It literally means good news. That's what the gospel translated means. It means good news. Man, it should bring us incredible joy. It boggles my mind that for some people like, oh, like, I don't like Christmas because like you just read through the same stories every year. It's like it's the gospel that we're reading through. How could that ever get boring for you? I mean, this is the the story that gives life color, the the story that gives life hope and everything. I mean, it shouldn't just be in Christmas that we're talking about the good news, the gospel. This should be every day, all day we should talk about this because it should bring us incredible joy. I think uh, one premise that we're going to basically build the rest of today off of is the better the news, the greater the joy. I think we can agree, probably agree on that. I don't know if you've ever gotten really good news. Like if you're, uh, now I'm going to, first I'm going to hit the grandparents. Uh, how did you feel when the first time you heard one of your kids tell you they were pregnant? Now that's a level of joy I can't share in because, you know, I'm not a grandparent. But I can only imagine that's a pretty good feeling, right? Like that's an exciting, especially if it was a good thing, like, you know, if it was a good situation. Maybe not so much if it wasn't a good situation, but it still brings you joy. Like when you look at your grandkids, you know, that still brings you joy. There's just some things that bring us incredible joy. The better the news, the greater the joy. I think we can agree on that premise. So this morning, you probably, uh, if you've ever gotten really good news and it made you sad, there's something wrong, uh, probably. uh, So you need to deal with that. But if you got really good news, you're going to be really joyful. The gospel being really good news should bring us incredible joy. The problem can be, in relation to uh, the gospel, is that we just really don't grasp how good the good news is. I think for some of us, we lost track of that. 
Uh, for some, especially those, uh, it seems, who were saved maybe a little bit later in life, who really tried life the other way and got themselves into some pretty bad predicaments, when they experience the good news, it seems almost like they have a much clearer picture of just how good the good news is. Almost as if the more darkness you experience, the better the light is. It's almost like I think of when I go into my kid's room and uh, wake them up from, you know, from a nap or bedtime and you flip the light on the first time and that look you get in their face like, it's been really dark. And so the light, like, it's a big difference. But for some, it's like, oh yeah, I was saved when I was four or I grew up in church and maybe you never really experienced all that darkness you might have to really study the Scriptures to understand. You may have to go out into the darkness of this world and, and preach the good news to those who are in darkness to see the transition that happens when someone goes from darkness to light to really grasp just how good this good news is. I think one of the problems is we can think the gospel, the good news, was a one-time thing. Like, I know uh, some of you could probably tell me the date and the time and, like, what you were wearing when you got saved, which is really cool. I didn't know you were supposed to remember that stuff when I came to know Christ, so I have no idea what day it was. I, th- I think I know how old I was. It's about as close as I can get. Uh, but some of you, man, you have it narrowed down to the day, the hour, the, the time frame, but we can also then think that it was a one-time thing. Like, yeah, the gospel was great. But I've moved beyond that now. I said that prayer. I did that work. It was useful that day. I'm saved from hell. The gospel did its work. And it was relevant on that one day I prayed the sinner's prayer. Now, today, it doesn't really have any relevance. Because I don't believe you can lose your salvation. So the gospel just doesn't have any relevance to me. That can kind of be the rut that we get ourselves in or the mindset that we step into once we're, we've been saved for a little while and we begin to live life. Now the gospel doesn't really have relevance over us. Other than when maybe we're having a bad day or we just need to be, uh, we need that assurance that we're going to heaven. Like we need to be sure that one day we're going to be in heaven. And so the gospel, like, oh yeah, it's useful, like at a funeral, maybe at a wedding, depends, like, you know. Uh, how, how biblical they want the wedding to be, but you know, that's the only other times, to, just to remind us that we're going to heaven someday. See, when we truly understand the good news, we understand that it wasn't just a one-time salvation experience. That's not the power of the gospel in its entirety. The gospel is an everyday, every moment saving from the effect of sin over us. It becomes a lifestyle. It becomes the power with which we live every single day. That's the gospel. It wasn't just a one-time patch on our broken life so that one day we could enter heaven. The good news is that we're not just going to spend eternity with Christ someday after we die and leave this world, but that we can live like He did here on this earth, now, today. The good news is is that we can affect this world with the light of the good news, just like Jesus did. We get that opportunity. We have that power, the ability to do that. We get to live righteously, 
not a slave to sin any longer. That's where the gospel comes into play every single day. We get to show the world through our lives and the powerful effects that the good news can have on anyone. As we engage with people, as we, as we talk to them, as they share some of the struggles they're going through, the gospel should flow from us so freely because we're living it out every day. See, what, what I think is interesting, if, if you watch my video halfway through the week, uh, uh, one of the things that I was kind of, I was really into in the middle of the week that God was really speaking to me is, just as you look at the New Testament, I think sometimes we, we get a little confused on what the New Testament is. And so when we're dealing with a problem, when, when someone else is dealing with a problem, we like to kind of go in and grab verses, like a, like a little bit of a piecemeal kind of thing, and we patch them together, and maybe we send them in a text message or an email, and we think that, like, that's where the power is. It's in that verse. But literally what the New Testament is, is and it's Paul and it's Timothy and it's Peter and it's, it's John and it's all these guys engaging with this new community called the church and basically applying the gospel to all these different situations, to all these different churches, to all the different sins, to all the different heresies, to all the different things that were happening all over the place. They were learning how to interpret the gospel through everyday circumstances. And so what we do is then we go in and, yes, for sure, some of the things are going to apply to our situations, but not everything because they were four specific scenarios that were happening. Like most of us probably aren't dealing with the reality that every day we're being confronted by somebody telling us that uh, we need to obey the Torah or we're going to go to hell. I don't think anybody here um, is dealing with that on a daily basis, so doesn't apply to everything, but what the goal is, is to learn to take the gospel and to view our entire life through it and to say, okay, how does the gospel have relevance today in the scenario I'm in right now? What does it have to say? When we engage with a coworker who's going through a crisis and they begin to talk to us, to begin to think, okay, how does the gospel, what does the gospel have to say about this? That's the goal And then we begin to do exactly what Paul and Peter and all these guys were doing in the New Testament is we begin to see crises, we begin to see things happening, and we say, what does Jesus have to say about this? What is the gospel, the power of the gospel? How how can it be applied to what's happening right here, right now? See, one of the beautiful things is that we don't just get to tell about the good news, but we get to be the good news to those around us. Christ in us. The Holy Spirit now dwells in us. It's this awesome thing that that happens when you uh, read the account of Jesus dying on the cross. There's one really, really important thing that happens when Jesus dies on the cross. Something is torn. Do you know what was torn? Okay, do you understand? When you read that, the the veil, the, the curtain on the Holy of Holies. Do you understand the significance of that? It's very important to understand what happened. Uh, One thing to understand is it wasn't like a curtain like you see over here. Like this thing weighed hundreds of pounds. Like this was a heavy duty deal. It surrounded for the Jewish people the Holy of Holies, this place where the presence of God came down and Jesus was very clear. This is over. 
where God just dwells in this place. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and each and every person is going to become a mobile holy of holies where the presence of God will dwell, and we go out to these places now. Now, think about it. If you are just, now I'm going to totally, don't, don't call me a heretic yet. Um, think of it from like a business sense. Like if you had a product and you wanted to get it everywhere, and, but everybody had to come to one place to get it as opposed to being able to send it out and decentralize this thing. And Jesus was very clear to the woman at the well. Something is going to happen. Things are going to change very soon where it's not going to be here that you come to worship. It won't, the temple won't be where you go to worship. But everybody can worship God in spirit and in truth. That it's going to go out through the whole world now because the Holy of Holies is going to get mobile, this thing that Jesus... And none of them understood what, what Jesus was saying because they just couldn't fathom this idea that God would dwell in us and then we were going to go to the whole world. And if that doesn't give you joy, you need to spend some more time with Jesus and get a clear understanding of just how awesome this is. We get to be the good news to the world. So how do we be the good news? Well, one way, our theme this morning is about expressing the joy that we find in the good news. There should be tremendous joy that we receive from the good news, and it should be a regular thing. And this isn't like a, well, you need to do this. I'm expressing to you that this is a natural thing. Like, naturally, this will happen if you're spending time in, in the Word of God, if you're spending time in worship, if you're spending time in His presence. This joy will naturally flow into you and from you. One of the ways that we do that we express this joy is by living lives that are so affected by the good news that it brings joy to every moment of our lives. If you look, uh, we're going to open into Luke 2, the uh, more traditional um, passage, and just understand what is occurring here for these shepherds. It says in Luke chapter 8, or Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, reading from the New Living Translation. It says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. That's a big statement. How many of you have news other than the gospel that you are confident will bring joy to every single person that ever hears it? To all people, the angel's saying, this, this news is for everyone. Now, again, they still didn't fully get it. Because in their minds, these shepherds probably heard, based on their cultural understanding, that the angel was saying, I bring you good news that will, be of, uh, that will bring great joy to all Jewish people. Because in their minds, they couldn't fathom how a non-Jewish person could possibly be saved. How they could be folded into the family of God. For them, it was, it was a near impossibility that it could happen. And you find this later when the church begins and the Jewish people are like, whoa, we can't let the Gentiles in. This whole thing's been flipped upside down. But here's what the angel's saying. Great joy for all people. I think you fit in that category. 
This should bring great joy to your heart, to your life, to everything you do. Just as the angel brought good news to the shepherds that night, Jesus has sent us to tell of the good news and to be the good news to everyone. Mark 16, 15. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Here's this everyone theme again. The good news is for everyone, and we've been sent to preach the good news to everyone. The difference between seeing this as a have to preach the good news to everybody and a get to preach the good news to everybody is directly related to the amount of joy that you receive from the good news. If it's truly good news to you, if you receive tremendous amount of joy, man, you, then you get to talk about it. You get to share of this good news. When something brings us joy, it's not difficult to talk about it. That's another reality. That's a premise that we're basing a lot of what we're going to talk about today off of. When something brings you joy, it's very easy to talk about. We will talk freely about what brings us joy. When, when Jackie and I first started, uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but Jackie and I met online and so we started chatting online, you know, through this website. And uh, my roommate got sick of hearing about Jackie really quickly because I started talking about this girl that was way out of my league. And she was, for whatever reason, talking to me because I don't know why. And so she's chatting with me and she actually seems interested in me. And I was pretty confident she wasn't like a creepy 40-year-old guy. Uh, online. And so I was like getting excited about it and talking to my roommate about it. And I, I just know he got sick of hearing it, about it all the time because he was single uh, and he didn't have anybody. So uh, I'm sure that got old real quick. And then we started dating and we started hanging out uh, and we just celebrated our, our nine years. We've been a couple. Um, and then everybody got sick of hearing about her because I tell anybody who, who wanted to listen to it. Many of you were that way. When you first met your spouse or your significant other, you would tell people, you didn't care if they wanted to know. You ever been caught in one of those situations? With somebody that wants to talk for like a half an hour about this new guy or girl they met, and you are totally not interested at all in hearing about it, but they're so excited that they're just going to talk your ear off about it and tell you all these ridiculous facts that you're just totally not interested in? Yeah, why? Because it brings them joy. They're finding great joy in this new relationship. Love has this awesome joy attached to it as well, and we'll talk about it all day long because it brings us joy. It's easy to do. Think back to your week this week. What did you talk most freely about this week? What subject, what idea, what topic? Maybe it was how much you hate Christmas music or how how glad you are that it wasn't snowing. What did you talk most freely about this week? Think about it this way. If you, if you were in a group of people, what subject, if they started talking about it, would you most easily be able to join in and talk about with passion? Like, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm very comfortable in groups of people and new groups of people or wherever, wherever you put me, I'm going to be comfortable. Uh, but I know some of you aren't. And so sometimes you're kind, of, you're kind of waiting for that in. You're waiting for them to maybe talk about a certain subject, whether it's a sports team or uh, an occupational kind of thing or hunting or fishing or uh, construction or uh, knitting or you know, something. 
You're just looking for that thing that you know a lot about, and you're just hoping somebody brings it up, or maybe you even try to like interject it into the conversation so now you can talk because you know a little bit about this. That wasn't good. And you're, you can freely discuss that topic. What subject is that? We all have things that bring us joy that we like to talk about. Uh, most of the time you have a group of friends and maybe you, maybe you even have like a book club or something you like to get together and you talk about a book that you're reading or um, you, you have groups of people that when you get around, you always talk about the same stuff and you can really engage in it because you know something about it. I've never once seen a grandparent who had to be coerced into talking about one of their grandkids and back it up with pictures and videos that are like nine minutes in length of them doing basic daily activities. New parents, same way. I know Jackie and I are just like that. Uh, most of you have no idea because you, don't, you probably don't even realize what Jackie and I did when Killian, before Killian was born is we created a family group on Facebook. And that's where we share like 90% of all of our videos and pictures. So the little bit that you see, just multiply that by like 1,000, and that's what our family gets. Uh, Why? Because they're new parents, and it brings them so much joy. It's just the way it is. I've also found if you want to lose a good half an hour to an hour of your life, ask a hunter how many tags they have left. Oh, yeah, some of you know. You ask that question, you just lost the next half hour of your life. Because uh, they're going to tell you all about how uh, the hunting season has been so far and, and what they saw the other day, and they'll tell you about the two, and they will tell you in detail about the two bucks that they watched for an hour and a half walk close but just out of range of where they were. Trust me, I've already had these conversations multiple times this year. Why? Because they love doing it. It's a, it's a hobby, it's a passion of theirs. Another question, how many of you, how many of you would say you're Steeler fans? Okay, so we've got a couple of Steeler fans. I, I'm not. I'm raising my hand to get you to raise your hand. I don't watch, I didn't watch, I haven't watched a minute of football in like five years, so maybe, maybe a minute. Uh, that's pushing it though. How many of you that are, that are uh, sport, how many of you have a sport team that you like? Right, well, it doesn't even have to be football, any kind of sport. Okay. How many of you, those of you that have a favorite sports team, how, how many of you have attended a training on how to talk about your sports team? No? I, no, hold on. I've heard some of you not just talk about, but argue why your sports team is the best sport team and how the other ones are garbage. And you've backed it up with more facts than I thought could fit into a human brain about people and who's on the team I, I couldn't tell you three people that were on the Steelers right now. Some of you could tell me every single person that are on the Steelers team right now. How about how many of you have attended uh, a training on how to talk about your political party? No? But wait, you do it so freely. I've never heard somebody say, well, well I, I'm not really qualified to talk about my political stances because I haven't, I haven't done any trainings yet on it. Uh, I'm really looking forward. My church is hosting a, uh, a political training uh, event where we're going to learn to talk about our, po- our political views. No, I've never heard somebody say that. And yet we talk about it so freely. 
We don't just talk about them too. We argue our points with passion, with fervor. We'll even spend our free time researching things and watching videos and and getting more information and gathering viewpoints and going on blogs. And uh, we have news articles emailed to us on a daily basis about these topics. We've never attended a training. We don't have any formal degree or certificate that says that we're qualified to talk about these things, and yet we do it with some of, sometimes anybody who will listen. And almost, even more so, if we know they don't want to hear about it. We feel like, well, they need to hear about it then. They need to hear about my, my viewpoint on this. Or they're an Eagles fan, so of course I've got to slam them and tell them how the Steelers are better. Or, or God forbid you meet a Cowboys fan, you know, something like that. Uh, I don't even know if that's still the rival. That was when I was a kid. So, uh, but that's just how we function with the things that bring us joy, the things that we're passionate about, the things uh, that are in our life that bring us great joy on a regular basis. Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 to 34 says, A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. Now Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. You brood of snakes. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Now this was for the Pharisees. But understand what Jesus is saying here. Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Those things that occupy the largest parts of our heart are what will flow from us on a regular basis. The problem isn't that we don't know how to talk about Jesus. The problem is he doesn't occupy as large a part of our heart as sports, politics, or the other things that we happily share about. I'm just going to say that again in case we need to hear that and needs to settle in this morning. The problem isn't that we don't know how to talk about Jesus with our coworkers with our neighbors, with our family. The problem is he doesn't occupy as large a part of our hearts as sports, politics, or the other things we happily share about. I think that's a reality that hopefully this morning some of us are able to admit, to say, you know what? That sounds terrible to admit that, but it's actually true. Because that's the first part of fixing a problem is admitting that the problem exists. Jesus doesn't bring us the same joy that sports, politics, or other things do. We don't get nearly as much joy by talking to someone about Jesus, the gospel, the good news, as we do about slamming somebody who's not as knowledgeable on their politics as we are or on a subject. We get a lot of joy from that. Or when your sports team wins on a, I don't even know what night sports happen anymore, Sunday? Uh... When they win on a Sunday, that makes you happier than you ever have been in a Sunday morning service. For some people, your sports team winning the Super Bowl or your candidate winning an election is better news than the gospel. How do I know this to be true? Because it brings you more joy. You talk about it more freely and with more passion Can we just be honest about that this morning to say, you know what? That might be true of me. I think my sports team might bring me more joy than Jesus does. I think my political stance might bring me greater satisfaction. I might find more identity 
in my political stance than I find in my Christian identity. I operate more freely, more passionately from this identity than I do about Jesus. Can we just be honest about that this morning? The better the news, the greater the joy. It's a premise we agreed on earlier, or at least I agreed on for you. The better the news, the greater the joy. If something brings us a tremendous amount of joy, then we consider it to be really, really good news. And legitimately, if you're a sports team, which I always, I'll never stop thinking that's funny because none of you own a sports team and none of you play on the Steelers, but your sports team wins the Super Bowl, yeah, you're going to be happy. You're going to be super joyful. Look at the celebrations in some of these towns that like haven't won a Super Bowl for a long time. Like I was just in Seattle and they were still talking about when they won the Super Bowl, which is probably good because they're terrible. And see, some of you thought that was really funny because sports is such a huge part of your life. And I don't even know if they're good or not. I, I, I seriously have no idea. I didn't even know they won the Super Bowl. But they were still talking about it, how when, that they won the Super Bowl last year, or I don't know what year. Why? Because it was such a big deal for them. They're so invested in this that it brought them so much joy that they're just looking forward to the next time they can experience that joy again. I think about, I can't remember what year it was, uh, I think the only baseball game I've ever watched was when I think Boston was in the World Series with somebody else. It was a big deal. Like Neither one of them had won the World Series in a really, really long time. And so we actually watched the game, uh, or like the last inning, I don't know. It was a lot for me, a lot of sports for me. But then you saw these, like, it would look like a mob. The whole, it looked like the whole city poured out into the streets to celebrate this thing. Same people that would make fun of us for raising our hand in a church or for talking about Jesus in a workplace. We're like knocking cars over and shooting off fireworks and screaming and hollering through the streets over a game that they don't even play on. But just because they live in the city, they, they, they live in the city, it brought them great joy. What do you talk about most freely? What is the easiest subject to pull you into a conversation on? This isn't a question that's meant to shame you. Never do I hope that something shames you as you listen to something here on a Sunday morning. My hope is that if it's hitting home at all, it'll help reorient you, help you identify there's something wrong here and I need to get it right. See, there's a lot of things that we give our time and our attention to that Jesus didn't command us to do. Now, there's a lot of good things in life that we're not commanded to do. Um, I, I, I don't know why. I always think of like taking out the garbage. Like it's such a menial task, but it needs to be done. Jesus didn't command us to take the garbage out, but we still do it. But there's a lot of good things that are meant to distract us from what God commanded us to do. A lot of good things that we end up wrapping our lives around, end up investing our lives and time and attention and energy and passion into that simply are being used by the enemy to distract us from what God commanded us to do. One of those commands, again, being Mark 16, 15. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. That's what we've been commanded to do. That's something we should be about each and every day. 
something that's also a, another fact we already talked about, we'll happily spend our free time talking about and researching things that bring us joy. Now, one of the things we, talked about, we announced this morning is we're doing this new Bible reading plan, and I'm always interested when people say, like, oh, man, it's a lot. Like, this year we were doing the Bible project plan, and, like, sometimes there's, like, a nine-minute video in there. Some of us will sit and watch political videos for two hours as we stream them, or we'll watch highlights of our sports team or a game. I don't even know how long a game is, two, three hours? Happily sit and watch through that. But learning more about God's Word, digging into who Jesus was, getting excited about who, man, I don't know, 15 minutes, that's a lot every day. I mean, that's a long time. That's like over two hours a week. We'll happily spend our free time talking about and researching the things that bring us joy. If you're not experiencing the overwhelming joy that comes from the good news, then the goal isn't to shame you. It's not something you should feel shame over. Shame isn't from God. But it should be a wake-up call. Instead of feeling shame, seek the face of the source of joy. Spend time in His presence. Now, if I had you think about, who is somebody that when you spend time with them, you can't help but be in a good mood? Like, they're just a a happy person. They've just got that infectious kind of joy and happiness about them. They're they're goofballs. I know my wife and I are goofballs. Hopefully, when you come to our house, you you laugh a lot. You probably do, because we're kind of nutty like that. But there's probably somebody in your life who you're like, I just, I just love being around them because there's a joy. Now imagine, the God of all creation, His joy is so much more infectious than that. A b- billion times more powerful than any human being's joy could be infectious. My prayer for you, if you're not experiencing that joy, Romans 15, 13, says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you, you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not your job to fill yourself with joy. That's why this isn't meant to shame you. That's why there's not a possibility that this should shame you because it's not your job to fill yourself with joy. It's your job to spend so much time with Jesus, to talk about Jesus so much, to worship Him with so much passion that the only possible outcome is that it would result in you being so full of joy that you just couldn't hold it in if you tried. Psalm 16, 11 says, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasure of living with you forever. There is a joy in the presence of God that is overwhelming. I don't know if you've ever had a moment, whether it was just you and the Lord alone in a quiet place or in a kayak on a mountaintop or in a worship time, where you've just been so overwhelmed with the presence of God and you walk away from those with this joy that you cannot explain. 
that you can't express, that you can't teach to somebody else. Because there's just something about being in his presence. And, and I, I find it interesting, you know, that some people that are all like fact-based and you've got to have evidence. I mean, what evidence is there for when you first met your spouse and that feeling you would get? I know there's chemicals and stuff like that, but you can't explain just how that, just being in their presence brought you so much joy. I mean, you, you went home on cloud nine and you felt good for days until you saw them again. And there's something to that. And it's magnified a million times over in God's presence. And the reality is we don't experience the joy because we don't spend time in his presence. We get so busy. We get so caught up with life. We get with thinking that it's all about all this other stuff. And we're not investing our time into spending time in his presence. And, and that's not going to look the same for every person here. It doesn't mean that you go home and read the Bible for the next eight hours. For some of you, that's exactly what you want to do because you love to read and you love to engage that way. By all means, do that. For others, you need to be outside like me. I need to be outdoors. I need to engage God outside and, and in his creation. For some of you, it's being in a quiet place in silence and solitude and, and not, not having your Bible open but just sitting and listening and being in his presence. Whatever that looks like for you, that's what we need more of. Because as we spend time in his presence, everything starts to change. Things start to happen. If you have a coworker, I don't know if you've ever had a coworker who's like super, super negative, and the more time you spend around them, the more negative you get. It starts to rub off. The opposite is true. You know, you have a coworker that's like super, super bubbly and happy and joyful and excited about life. It's hard to be like a downer around someone who's that excited about life, that excited about things. I can tell you from experience, if you spend enough time with Jesus, if you talk about him all the time, if you focus on worshiping him on a regular basis, it will take no effort to be completely full of joy as you spend that amount of time in his presence. Can we be honest as we close with a few truths this morning? Maybe the reason that we don't talk about Jesus is because he doesn't occupy as large a part of our hearts as sports, politics, or the other things that we happily share about. Some of us need to come to terms with that. That is a reality. Also, maybe the reason that Jesus doesn't occupy as large a part of our heart as he should is because we've never fully surrendered our life to him. Remember the verse we, sh we talked about last week, Matthew seven, thirteen to 14. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. The reality, sad reality, is there will be many people. This is, saying, this is telling us there will be many people who stand before God one day and try to list off all of the reasons they should be allowed into heaven. I went to church. I studied the Bible. I led Bible studies. I did this. I did that. And the Lord is going to say, depart from me. 
Bible says that some people have cast out demons in his name. They've done these mighty works in the name of God. And still, because they don't have a relationship with him, because their, their lives haven't been fully surrendered to him, God will be forced to say, depart from me, I never knew you. There's a relationship with God that happens when we fully surrender to him. That's where this joy comes from. Most of you probably don't experience joy from that person you never married. I hope you don't. That childhood crush that you never ended up marrying. Why? Because you don't have a relationship with them. That's why they don't bring you joy. For some of us, we might need to come to the realization that we don't experience joy from the good news because we never actually engaged with the good news. We heard about it. It sounded really good. The premises intellectually made sense, and so we've based our life on that. But it's never actually brought us joy. We've not become new creations whose entire identity flows from the gospel. It was just a good idea. Or it's just what my family did. It was just culturally what was appropriate. And, you know, I think it teaches good morals and all of these things, but it doesn't bring you tremendous joy. For some, it'll never bring you that joy of, of when your team won the sports thing or when your candidate won the election. If that's true, there is a deep and desperate problem with your relationship with God because nothing should even come close to the joy you found in the gospel. The good news of Jesus brings better news more joy than anything this world can even come close to like if you have to sit and try to evaluate and say well did it bring me more joy that's a problem because the gospel is this thing that doesn't just change your life it changes your eternity everything changes because of the gospel nothing this world does can even hold a candle to it and my encouragement to you this morning is if it's not bringing you joy, if you just think that maybe there was, a, there was a day a long time ago that it brought you joy, but it's not bringing you joy today, it's not overwhelming you with the joy, then something needs to change. Either your relationship with God, if there wasn't one, there needs to be one, or maybe you've just grown so distant from Him that he no longer is your source of joy. And you've sought to find joy in all these other things and you wonder why you're depressed. You wonder why things are, are so dark in your life and why life just seems so difficult. Because you're not in his presence. There is a power there which cannot be taught, can't be put in a pill, can't be read in a book. It can only be experienced in his presence. There's something about that. Jackie and I were just talking about, because we found out a number of our friends are all of a sudden pregnant. And it's like, we're just trying to tell them, like, you can read all the books you want, but there's nothing like holding that baby. If you're a parent, you know that to be true. You thought you were ready. You might have thought you were prepared. And then the day comes, and they, you, I remember walking out of the hospital with this kid, and they're like, they're just, like, letting us go with him. Like, no one's even watching us to see where we go or what we do. 
Like, we're just responsible for this life, and we go home. And I remember the first time putting, putting Killian down in his, in his bassinet to sleep. And it's like, this, I didn't read this in the books. This can't be, it can only be experienced. That moment, that, that feeling, what happens there, it's, it's so true with the gospel. If you've only ever clinically read it, understood it, I, and, and here's my encouragement. You might be hearing this and feeling this, and I, there will be many people who go to hell because of their pride because they've gone to church for 50 years and they think, I can't do any, I can't change now. I can't admit that I didn't have a relationship with Jesus after 50 years of going to church and serving on a deacon board or serving as an elder or serving this way and that way. I can't, I can't admit that now. Man, don't let your pride get in the way. There is nothing like experiencing the power of the gospel. That joy, man, it's what wakes me up in the morning. It's, it's what brings color to life. Everything should flow from that joy. If you don't have that this morning, don't feel shame, don't feel pride, don't be angry. Just enter his presence and ask him to change everything. That's my encouragement to you this morning. Maybe the reason that the good news doesn't bring us the joy it should is because we just don't love Jesus like we say we do. Our love for Jesus is an affection for him. It's a desire, maybe, or an acknowledgement that if it's true, then that's going to be pretty cool. But we've never actually engaged in a relationship with him. If this is true of you, my prayer for you is 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. That is the good news. That brings great joy. Let's pray. Lord, I, I come to you this morning, Lord, with kind of a heavy heart, Lord. Because I know there will be people who hear the good news, who believe they have experienced the good news, and then make excuses for why they have no joy. When your word is pretty clear, the only possible outcome of experiencing the good news is joy. The only possible outcome of being in your presence is joy. Because you are love. And because the good news is so great. Lord, I pray this morning, if there's any here or any watching who have not truly experienced the power of this good news, that it would become very evident to them this morning that something needs to change. And they might not even know what to do with that. They might not even know it's not, I know it's not just about praying a prayer, but something needs to change in the way that they view you. Their relationship with you needs to become less uh, of an observance and viewing you from afar and actually entering into a relationship. Lord, I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, would you speak to hearts? Would you make it clear where we stand with you? And then, Holy Spirit, would you explode in joy this week in our lives? 
would every mention of the birth of Christ, would, would every song or would every conversation be filled with so much joy because of this good news? Would it radically change for us if we are not somebody of tremendous joy? Would it begin to light this fire in our hearts, Lord? And would you give us opportunity to tell others who experience bad news every day because they don't know you? Their entire life is bad news. And would you, Holy Spirit, enable us to speak the gospel into their situations, to apply the gospel to what's happening in their life and let them experience the power of the gospel real time without ever stepping foot in a church. Would you give us those opportunities this week? Use us, Holy Spirit, to be your hands, your feet, your messengers. We know you've commanded us to do it. Would you empower us to accomplish it? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, I just wanna encourage you, if you're feeling something this morning, just have a conversation. Come on up front or something if you wanna have a conversation, but be joyful this week.